podcast time. Before you know what that sound indicates, thank you once again for listening to another installment of the KG Fickle Walker and Doc Podcast. Gentlemen, how are you? I don't know today. I went over to this weekend. I, I guess you all got my tweet now. You fellow tweeters out there, it wasn't a good day for the Wildcat this week. Good weekend for the Wildcat. But I'm ready to take my lickings and keep on sticking. I'm doing well. Wasn't too bad of a weekend. Bounce back weekend for uh, many of the programs I support. So not too bad. Things are going okay. Well, yours truly, my Cougars defeated the Wildcats, Rice Isles, and the Bayou Bucket to yeah, reclaim man. the bucket and keep it where it belongs. But now, the, the key now is to keep the, it where it belongs and see if they play again in the future. But Wildcats, Hold you it. are the college sports reporter. So do your thing, sir. Well, let me start out with, uh, it was just a bad week for teams all around. Uh, first of all, let me start with the football. Texas 31, K-State 21, uh, K-State, uh, 21. And it was U of H 31, Rice 26. KG got one on that one. You got me. Jackson State 35, Texas Southern 7, Preview 28, Alabama a and I think that's who it was. Yes, yeah, yeah, Alabama Alabama. A&M. 26. Uh, only had one outside, uh, outdoor game this week. Uh, it was men's soccer. HBU tw- uh, 2-1 over Long Island, Brooklyn. Uh, there was no women's soccer uh, matches this week because of bad weather. Uh, games were canceled Thursday and Friday. Uh, whatever were make, uh, games were made up, matches were made up yesterday. They hadn't been posted. I didn't see anything online. It was on the NC2A uh uh, list on the school sites. But we did have some, uh, indoor, uh, sports this week. Women's volleyball went a good week for the local crew. Uh, Oregon State beat Prairie 3-0 on Friday. Prairie won a home game on Monday, 3-0 over Houston Tillerson. Rice was shut out 3, uh, 3-0 in the active ankle challenge in Louisville, Kentucky against Vitek. Louisville and Bowling Green. HBU went 0 for 2 this week against Conference Pro Texas A&M Corpus Christi, zero, uh, 3-0. And a uh, on-the-road game to UTSA, they lost 3-0. U of H also went 0-3 in their own Flo Hyman Collegiate Cup, which I am truly disappointed in. They lost to uh, Conference USA New Conference USA member, 3-0. They lost to LSU, 3-1, and then to Baylor, 3-2. That is all I have in stats this week, scores for this week on the college level here in the local. Well, let me add to uh, the scorekeeping, talk about the act on the football side. We almost had a, a monumental, monumental victory for the act. And unusual? In Connecticut. Was it unusual? As uh, UConn Huskies almost beat Michigan in football. They were leading 21-7 late in the third quarter. But rally set in. The clock struck 12. <laughs> and uh, Wolverines eked out a victory 24-21 over the Huskies. Uh, further scores, SMU lost uh, to the Aggies in Conversation 42-13. No shock there. Memphis. Memphis. I'm One football game, Memphis beat Arkansas State 31 to seven. Wait a minute, that's two which games. Which means two. Arkansas State must really be horrible. That's two weeks in a row for Memphis. Memphis right? is not a good football team. <clears throat> Louisville, um, well, I can't pray me if I'm wrong, but Florida International is part of Conference USA, correct? 
Yes, it is. It's a new member. At the FBS school, right? Yes, it is. Well, stepping to nothing. Louisville put on there yesterday. It's not good for your conference USA opponent. So that means, so let me get this right. So that means the Cougars, my Cougars, of Yak, Louisville of Yak, beat conference USA teams by a combined score of 103 to 26 yesterday. (laughs) Now, Now, with that being said, you, we all commented on what's going on in Florida and if the subpar schools or the secondary, second tier and third tier team FBS schools in that, in that, com, in that state are not on the same level as a Florida, Florida State and a Miami right now. They are back where they pretty much belong as far as FBS schools in the, in the state of Florida. Am I correct? Yeah, they are. In that assessment. It, it's, a, it's crap. So far for Atlantic, Florida Atlantic, Florida International. Doc can touch on a beatdown Bethune Cookman received from Florida State. Um, but a couple more scores. Had a big win for the for the Ack. I almost maybe want to call the American now. Not, not yet. <clears throat> Rutgers beat Arkansas. Went over the SEC yesterday, 28-24. So that's a big win for the Ack. And lastly, Cincinnati shut out Miami of Ohio, 14 nothing. So overall, it's a pretty good, pretty good day for the the Ack. Doc, give me those HBCU scores. Talk about Prairie View and that victory of Alabama and Definitely. Let's bring it back. We'll bring it locally first. Let's start out with our Houston uh, HBCU program, Texas Southern University. They were, had a Thursday night game on ESPNU to showcase uh, the brand of football in the SWAC, as well as Texas Southern University. Started out really solid. Looked like uh, they were going to pull maybe the upset that I had called. It was trending towards the fact that it would go into halftime at 7-7, and then all of a sudden, Javonsi Jones got in the way because uh, there was a blocked punt, and he recovered it in the end zone. And so with about 23 seconds, literally before halftime, Jackson State goes up 14-7. Katie barred the door, upset over. Ending score was 35-7. Jackson State Tigers over the home team, Texas Southern Tigers. Just a couple of stats to throw out there so you'll understand what actually went on a little deeper than just the score. Texas Southern only had a total yards of 149. 149 total yards. Hold up, In the game? In all 60 minutes? It gets rougher before you ask the questions. I'll let you jump in there. I want to make sure I'm succinct in this. 111 yards passing. 38 rushing. That was to Jackson State's 295 total yards, 81 passing, 214 on the ground. Now I'm open for your concerns. Concerns? Die. Your commentary. <laughs> it's more than a little bit commentating than concerns. I got a question as to is this staff? Um, I got to choose the correct word to say in this room because it's going out. It's going out. Are they competent enough to hold this together to finish out the season? It'll be helpful. I think they'll hold it together, and I think they actually have a pretty good staff. I don't think that's the problem here. I think it's actually what happens when you get caught up in NCAA penalties. You already not have a great deal of depth in terms of what's going on. And then you add on to the you know framework that you have your APR stuff, so you get double hit if you would and you as a HBCU institution in my opinion you just don't have a great deal of room for error 
And so when you get caught up in these APR issues, you're going to look silly. Not only that, this team has a problem in terms of discipline, uh, in terms of how they play the game. There were 13 penalties for 121 yards. And not to be outdone, Jackson State decided, even though they won the game in commanding fashion, they put up 14 penalties for also 121 yards. So it was a flag fest, so that was a little uncomfortable to watch. But, yeah, that's pretty much what you're going to see with Texas Southern uh, the rest of the year. Thank goodness that there is a Grambling State program out there that may provide them with the opportunity to get a win. There's also the Valley Delta Devils. So those are the things you look at. At one time, we thought Alcorn State may be something, but you'll hear me talk about them in the polls shortly. And they look like they will be nothing to pick with because they had a big upset win. Let's tune in to Prairie View as we close out on the local programs. And like I said, we can turn around and maybe get into some polls as you see fit. Uh, but let's talk about the Panthers and their game that they decided to make very interesting as well as they had a slugfest 28-26 to 26, as you appropriately gave the score. But to give you some insight again in terms of what took place in that game, Alabama A&M, the Bulldogs jumped out. 12-0. It was 12-0 in the first quarter. Stayed that way into the half. This included uh, Barrington Scott on a 15-yard run for a touchdown. Thankfully for Prairie View, the kicker looked like he had never seen a football field post before because he decided to wedge it against the pole the first time. And then he got a second chance after Brandon Eldermeyer had a 67-yard run. He This time he even missed worse. If you would, it looked like a golf pitching wedge uh, that went clankering off to the side into the wind down on the hills of Prairie View. Uh, after that, Prairie View came back out with a vengeance, scoring uh, with 11:37 in the third quarter to cut it to 12-7. DeAndre Smiley on a one-yard run. Uh, Smiley again had a 37-yard jump to make it 14-12. Uh, Courtney Brown, 26-yard pass from Jerry Lovelock as they switched quarterback. Third quarter went up 21 to 12. Looked like they were in commanding lead. The dogs of Alabama AM said they were not coming this far to give up. Jonathan Dorsey had a 13 yard pass from uh, Jamason Lee to cut the lead to 21 19. Gabe Dunlett had a five yard pass from Jerry Lovelock to take the lead 28 19. And the Mario Ross ended the scoring in a nine yard pass from Jamason Lee again as it went 28 26. Uh, at the end of the game, uh, basically, Prairie and then ran out the clock to close it out, giving the ball back to Alabama A&M inside their 10 with about 40 seconds left in the game. Four plays, couldn't get anything in the desperation pass at the end. The Panthers intercepted. Some quick stats to let you know what really went on within this game as I give you the description. Total yards, Alabama A&M Bulldogs put up 501 yards, so Prairie View has that defensive Laps, if you would, liking to give up yards. Passing, it was even though, basically, total passing was 224. Rushing was 277. Prairie View, in terms of what they did on the offensive side, total yards, 358. Passing was 148 to 210 rushing. So Prairie View can run the ball. That is two weeks in a row where they got over 200 yards in the game. And this including uh, Brown, who is just tearing up the league. He had 116 yards. That's his third a straight game with over 100 some yards in terms of swag play as he did against Texas Southern. He did 200 
plus against Southern, and now 116 against Alabama A&M. So that's somebody at least keep your eye on that uh, is solid in terms of rushing. And that kind of gives you a landscape of the HBCU sports around Houston. And you mentioned um, Bethune-Cookman Wildcats and the Florida State Seminoles. That was a 54-6 butt-kicking. I uh, must admit, thought it could be worse than that, so I give them some level of credit to keeping it somewhat not as embarrassing as it could be. This is the Bethune-Cookman that is now 3-1, and one, but beat up on the ACK component, Florida International Golden Panthers, last week, just to let you know that uh, they should be recognized as a solid program, Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. Just to let you know that Bethune-Cookman is better than some teams in the ACK. And that's, that was way out no, of no, summarizing. No, no. Florida National Conference USA, yeah. Florida now, National Conference USA, yeah. <laughs> with that being said, these teams moved, East Florida International and Florida Atlantic moving into the Conference USA. What does that say about where they were? Because it, when everybody starts talking about talent. Well, actually, I think it was odd. It's interesting. I think they're cyclical because they were just in the Sun Belt. And they were actually getting some of the big Sun Belt uh, bowl wins just a couple of years ago. Both Florida Atlantic and Florida Internationals, they were beating up on some Conference USA foes. They were beating up also on some uh, uh, MAC foes and a couple of those bowls up in there. So it's just maybe a matter of time of getting the right coach in there as those coaches have moved on and you see how important it is at this level to have two things, in my opinion, a very good coach and a very good quarterback. Definitely. If you get those two things, you can have a pretty good team. And talk about – it's about time now that we talk about uh, Mike Cougars beating your owls <laughs> yesterday at yeah, the Lions Stadium. I'm good. Uh, but you did not think it was going to happen. Honestly, I didn't think the Cougars would win the game either. I wasn't the only one. But uh, I'm, I'm glad I wasn't the only one. But um, it wasn't a shootout like I thought it would be. Now, that uh, surprised me. You know, I, I didn't think either, I was either, either team's defense uniform. was good enough to uh, stop the other. But the Cougars' defense did a very good job uh, containing the owls. The Owls team scored 26 points, but the Owls offense scored with 13 points. They've got special teams blocked, got a field goal return for a touchdown, and I think they got another touchdown because of the special teams as well. But, you know, give me your thoughts on, on the ball game, sir. Being what it was, um, you know, this, it did, they, they scored in, everybody scored in the first quarter. Then U of H made the first adjustment, and they made the last one. First adjustment, second quarter, didn't give up a score. Uh, they were able to close down. Uh, my only question on yesterday, um, why uh, Dreyfus didn't play at all, and McCard started. And uh, something, tra whatever transpired, I'll find out tomorrow at the uh, media, uh, at the uh, weekly press conference. That'll be a question, one of my questions to ask to find out what happened with that. But other than that, you know, U of H showed up. They were ready to play, and they were re that defense was ready to shut down. Uh, U of H's uh, uh, defense was able to contain Rice when they needed to, especially on running. Uh, Charles Ross was knocked out in the first uh, half, and he only got picked up 55 yards, so that gave up. To, there was no running game and all to be done. Uh, even uh, Luke Turner on a uh, they call it a, a, a free flicker pass option threw a touchdown to uh, uh, Turner Peterson. A 57-yard touchdown, uh, and Rice was put Rice back into the game, but it wasn't enough, you know, to with the trickery. It wasn't enough with the running game, and I, if I had to 
because I wasn't there yesterday. If I had to, uh, we're just going on reports now. What I saw and what I heard and from the highlights, I'd have to say the running game was a, was a downfall of Rice not being able to uh, do what they need to do. Because when you got two guys that's at least six feet, six two, two thirty, two thirty five, you know, running the ball, you can pretty much do a lot of damage now when you need to, especially when you want to hold on to the uh, to the ball. Right now, I think that was the key. Is more about holding on to the ball. They had two turnovers. One was a fumble loss. One was an interception thrown in that game. Uh, particularly with Rice rushing for 174 yards, not too bad. You know, that's a really pretty solid. You have over 100 yards. But as you said, to be able to control the clock, to take some of the speed that U of H likes to play with right. off the field, you probably want to run the ball a little more. So it wasn't necessarily they weren't effective running. It was the fact that they probably didn't run enough. No. But you have to attribute that from the fact that they got kind of down in the hole. And now you oftentimes you feel the need to throw the ball a little more to catch up. So those two things kind of played, um, if you would, what was going on in my surmise of what took place in terms of the Bayou Bucket. With right. the Cougars finding a way to bring it. And, and kudos to uh, freshman Tyus Bowser for uh, the Cougars. Rice couldn't Good block call. him. He had uh, seven tackles, uh, interception, one and a half sacks, two and a half tackles for loss. He he was just a man, you know. He's a freshman, so it's it's a good sign for the Cougars' defense going forward. Even saw some uh, produ- production from another freshman, uh, Greg Ward, a quarterback. When John O'Connor's having some health issues, going in out of game, so um, both freshman quarterbacks, O'Connor and Greg Ward, did a decent job running the offense. Cougars did just, Cougars did just enough to uh, hold on for the victory. And ironically, or interestingly enough, their next opponent on the road versus UTSA beat UTEP, a coming to a say opponent. So uh, that is a big deal for, you know, I thought the game was going to be a given for the Cougars to go on the road and win. Now that UTSA game, you never know what's going to happen now when you go on the road. Strange things happen on the road. Yeah, yeah. especially with... Um the way they had galvanized that city. San Antonio has really seen yeah, oh, yeah. behind them. Yeah. They, they don't have a pro football team, but there's a huge amount of pro fans in that area. And they play in the Alamo Dome. Yeah, and it, with the Cowboys coming down down in there, and I was going to add, playing in the Al- Alamo Dome was brilliant at this point because it looks like the city has kind of backed that team and ain't taking it from just being a university campus-wise, but it's really a city-wise. It really is a... Um, and they get into uh, com- those games. community uh, type atmosphere. Uh, Coach Coke, uh, he uh, <coughs> excuse me, he talked about that on media day. How the community is all involved and in all with the campus and with the athletic programs and all down there. Uh, they pretty much get involved, and it's, it's, you know, it's when you talk to guys not about going and playing. You're in a dome, a dome a stadium. You're getting it's. Close to you know thirty five. You have them thirty five plus a thousand st- uh, fans a week. You got the you got the military to help you out, get you to, to the to the max. Uh, you know only big time sports and all in town. So you know other than the, the Spurs, yeah, you, you you got that. Yeah, you you got big time sports team down. Yeah, well, you, you know that's basketball, yeah. but <laughs> football wise, yeah. But football wise, you you pretty much a hit. You know, and like I said, this is Texas, and the only thing you got competing is um, high school football, and you. Not competing with them on Saturday. Doc, give a rundown of uh, your top ten school, a uh, top ten update. All right, let's start about who you are too. Yes, this is Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, uh, HBCU guru, if you would like to uh, 
say that I'm serious about the bringing you knowledge on HBCU sports, particular from the regional programs in this area and also the national HBCU programs. I provide a major division and mid-major division uh, poll ranking system for football, men's and women's basketball, as well as baseball starting last year. And when I separate the mid-major and major divisions, to give you a crux of what that is, the major divisions are FCS programs playing at the uh, Division One level, what we used to formerly known as 1AA, while the mid-major divisions are NCAA Division Two and NAIA Division One programs. So let's get into the poll action and let you know a rundown of the SWAC in terms of what takes place because it looks like the strength of the conference has switched from the West Division to the East Division. But we'll find out is that just an early season thing or is that something to keep our eye on as the season continues to go. At number 10, you have North Carolina Central Eagles 2-2. Two two. They lost to Townsend Tigers 35-17. to They're open this week. At number 9, you have the Prairie View A&M Panthers 2-2. Two two. They defeated Alabama A&M Bulldogs, as we said earlier, 28-26. They're at Stephen S. Austin Lumberjacks for an interesting Southland versus Sweat matchup. Next week, at number 8, you have Southern Jaguars 2-2. Two two. They defeated Mississippi Valley State Delta Devils 17-7 as they go to 2-0 in the conference and even their overall record to 2-2. Two two. They have a huge matchup this week with their bitter rival versus the Jackson State Tigers coming into their home stadium. So that should be interesting to keep your eyes on that matchup. At number 7, you have the Alabama State Hornets defeating Grambling State Tigers 52-21. As you continue to see, the Grambling State Tigers are just not the Grambling of old. They are struggling mightily as they're 0-4 on, on the season thus far. And doesn't look like they're anywhere near getting a victory this season. Well, about the Alabama State Hornets, they will face off against Alcorn State Braves. And that brings us to number six, Alcorn State Braves, three and one. They defeated Arkansas Pine Bluff Golden Lions 21 to 16. That was a surprise to many as Arkansas Pine Bluff Golden Lions were last year's SWAC champion and picked to do it again this year. They have people missing on the defensive side of the ball that were ineligible uh, for academic reasons. So it looks like that's really hoping the Golden Lions. And it looks like the Braves are for real. Well, they'll get a serious test as they travel to Montgomery this week, facing off against the Alabama State Hornets. Top five programs are the Jackson State Tigers, 2-2, two two, def defeated Texas Southern Tigers 35-7. As we said earlier, they're facing traveling on the road to Baton Rouge for their battle rivalry against Southern Jaguars. That should be fun. At number four, South Carolina State Bulldogs, 2-2. Two two. They defeated their crosstown rival in the Benedict Tigers, 59-6. They treated them as a mid-major program they are. Benedict Tigers were top 10 program, but you see there is a major vast difference, at least at the HBCU level, between uh, the top FCS HBCU programs and the Division II mid-major uh, HBCU programs. Well, South Carolina State Bulldogs get into conference action as they are versus Hampton Pirates in the MEAC. At number three, you have Tennessee State Tigers. 3-1 on the season defeated Tennessee Tech as they jump into Ohio Valley action, defeating the Tennessee Tech, 41-21. They're versus Central State Matadors as they step back out into HBCU land, playing a mid-major program in the Central State Matadors. Shouldn't be a problem there for the Tigers. At number two, North Carolina A&T Aggies, 2-0. They did not play this week. They get into conference action in the MEAC, and they're versus Howard Bison, who have not won this season. At number one, you have the Thune Cookman Wildcats, 3-1. and one. 
six first place votes. So they lost the first place vote as they lost that game to Florida State Seminoles, 54 to six. They are open this week as they get prepared to get into MEAC action the following week. That'll do it for the top 10 programs. Number 10, North Carolina Central Eagles. At number 9, Prairie and Panthers. At number 8, Southern Jaguars. At number 7, Alabama State Hornets. At number 6, Alcorn State Braves. At number 5, Jackson State Tigers. At number 4, South Carolina State Bulldogs. Number 3, Tennessee State Tigers. Number 2, North Carolina a Aggies. And the number 1 team for the fourth consecutive week that continues to get it done, the Bethune-Cookman Wildcats. And that'll do it for the major division part of the poll. If you'd like more in terms of the mid-major poll, go on over to onindon, O-N-N-I-D-A-N.com. And the polls are released on Monday, so you can see both the mid-major and the major programs on that site. As well as an in-depth study, you can go to the College Sporting News to get the major division programs and see how they fare this weekend. And on Thursdays, there's a release of the major division preview games of the upcoming week. to kind of give you a breakdown, give you a historical component, also gives you a component about the best bands to watch in that game as well. That'll do it. Top 25 uh, for the AP are out. Um, Alabama's once again this week, uh, number, ranked number one. But they'll start at Oregon. Picked up four votes to finish at number two. LSU is number six. Louisville is number seven. Texas A&M is number 10. South Carolina is number 12. Oklahoma is 14. Miami is 15. Baylor is 19. Texas Tech is 24. And Fresno State with the young car. Quarterback. Not that young. Fifty years. Well, hey. The younger brother. The younger brother. I got you. <laughs> but but as a, once again, he's a, another car at a college quarter, being a college quarterback and succeeding. Yeah, he's doing and, well. And, and, and but and that's all the right. Did he play ball? High school ball in Houston. Yeah, he yeah. started out here. Yeah, started and they, right. when they when the move was made, everybody made a move. Uh, but on the on the coach's side of the AP. Alabama is, uh, is number one, Oregon two, LSU six, A&M swaps uh, places with uh, Georgia, and it's A&M nine, Georgia ten, Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are 11 and 12 respectively, UCLA is 14, Miami is 15, Ole Miss is 21, Notre Dame 22, Fresno State is 23, Wisconsin 24, and Texas Tech is number 25. The Texas Tech went struggle yesterday against Texas State, was it? Right, right. The, French, the fighting Francionis. I saw someone say on Twitter. Hey, they they do what they do, and he he's coaching what he's coaching. Well, let me go ahead and talk about the. It it was fun the last two weeks to talk about this team, but since they found a way to win yesterday, they found somebody worse than they were offensively. Talking about the Texas Longhorns, Mac Brown, his his lowly Longhorns. And the defense showed up yesterday. Ended their five-game losing streak versus Kansas State and picked up a win, a much-needed victory, 31-21 in Austin over Wildcats, Coach Snyder, yeah. and his woeful offense. Uh, if they couldn't get the if uh, they couldn't get the ball to Tyler Luckett, they couldn't do anything else on offense. Longhorns really couldn't stop Tyler Luckett, the wide receiver. He had 13 catches for 237 yards. yards. Solid. But uh, Longhorns. Finally wised up. Uh, Major Applewhite, the offensive coordinator, finally got the ball to Jonathan Gray enough, and young fella didn't damage. Two touchdowns, 141 yards. Uh, David asked to a touchdown, a 6-3-yard touchdown before he was injured and knocked out of the game. So it was a uh, case of Blessing. Case of Hoyt came in and, and did, did the rest. 
Longhorns got off got off the snide there. Uh, got their first Big 12 victory. Last week in the podcast, we talked about Mac Brown saying, hey, what's left for us now to win the Big 12? So they're one step toward that goal, which still won't happen, despite the fact they're going to play at Iowa State. It, yeah, it's it's going to get week. a lot tougher. As you name some of those teams in the top 25, oh, yeah. they got Baylor still out there, Texas Lost. Lost. Oklahoma, lost. Oklahoma State, lost. So they're not going to get, win the Big 12. He might keep up a lot while he wants to, but, but they're not going to win the Big 12. So. But the, you, you two guys keep mentioning about the old money. Well, the old money spoke up this week. Joe Dumeo made a statement. Yeah, he, across, he didn't just throw a, a torpedo. He dropped a nuclear bomb on somebody and said, don't you ever, as long as I'm walking this way. Don't ever. And, folks, if you don't know who Joe Dumeo is, for people that don't know who he is, Google up Texaco and Pinzar. Trust me, you'll find out who Joe Jamal is. Real quick. Well, whatever. <laughs> I don't be whatever with Joe Jamal. Take, take the challenge. Take the challenge. If I want the man gone, he gone. I don't care. Joe Jamal coming out saying that he didn't, that the story broke. I don't know why it broke now in September when it happened in January. Slow media <clears> day. You know how it works. Regent had met with Nick yeah, Saban people in man. January <clears throat> about replacing Mac Brown. That was in January. This was before the struggles of, of the long haul season That's thus true. far. Yeah. So, Joe Jamel said he would threaten he would sue anybody who would try to run Mac Brown off. Okay. So if of all of us, if if Longhorns go six and six, and we deem that that's not satisfactory to our program, he gone. Whatever. You know, he can find out. Find it all I don't want to see. You know, I want to see that happen. I want literally. I want to see that happen. Find what? It's not. It's not a contract. We can't. We can't break. I don't care how great Joe Demel is as an attorney. Whatever, bring it. We're we gonna Whatever. find out. Whatever. We're gonna find but, out. But honestly, I want him to stay the head coach. I want the Longhorns to continue to suck and get worse for the next seven years. As long as Matt Brown finishes off, whatever. Lose, lose, lose. That's happy. To, that's fine with me. Let the Aggies become the best team in the state. That's fine. I don't care. You know, Aggies, Baylor, the Cougars. You better Longhorns. That's fine. No problem with me whatsoever. You know, it's interesting that they finished this. Uh, uh, Highlight the the notes and all on yesterday's game. Well, until Texas plays Iowa State in Ames on October third, happy days have returned. That means somebody was realistic and looking at the schedule. Because I'm not mistaken, uh, how soon is the uh, Cotton Bowl game? Uh, it's set Saturday, October twelfth. Well, that's after the Iowa State game, October the thirteenth. Uh, October the third, excuse me. So they have a week off and then they get back into action. And then they on get the beat Thursday down. night game, and then they have ten days. So they get beat down. Oklahoma and Dallas. So that's when they that's when the slide just comes and just the wheels fall off, and the rest of the season just the rest of the season. Yeah, then they get a little bit of break. They got AT, at TSU. Doesn't look like they're doing much. Kansas. That's TCU now. Because you talk about getting a win now. You talk about getting a win. They get the win. They get the win and they play Texas Southern. Then you have Kansas, West Virginia. Even though that TCU and West Virginia game on the road, then it really the gauntlet comes in. The last three, which are all top twenty-five programs right now, that's versus Oklahoma State, Lost. versus Texas Tech, and at Baylor. Exactly. And those teams are ranked 11, 24th, and nineteen respectively this game at this time. And right, now, right now, no, that's a home game. So it's in Austinville. Okay. Yeah, the, the last three are all ranked, but only one of the last one is on the road against Baylor. And Baylor right now is ranked one and two in scoring on offense and defense. Well, you know, you haven't played anybody, you know. It don't matter. But whatever. It don't matter. 
Yeah. You know, it's it's a Big Twelve, and, and okay, at some point it'll be done. Let's talk about that. I mean, you know, Baylor playing the rum dums of of uh, college football. Folks showed up. <clears throat> so they took a check and they came, and got beat down. Well, that's that's what we had a lot well, of check true. games yesterday. We had uh, oh, it was huge. Because because it's uh, speaking of the Savannah State game finished earlier because of that situation. No, Atlanta State Miami coach head coaches agreed to play a 12 minute fourth quarter because the game was already 77 to seven after the end of the third quarter. So yeah, that that check game. I don't understand. Baylor, Louisiana Monroe check game. Ohio State had a check game yesterday against who was it? Savannah State. Yeah. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Ohio State beat down FAMU, FAMU. Florida and M 76 to zero. Did the, the band come? No, the band did not show up. <laughs> Florida State well, they beat a the real big game. check game. Because, I mean, that, that's extra folks you don't have to worry about paying, uh, uh, I, beating or whatever. I just don't understand why these, Baylor, Baylor has played. Why they continue to play these games. Wofford. The fans have shown that they don't want them. And, and they're not entertaining. Baylor has played Wofford, Buffalo, and Louisiana Monroe in their first three ball games, all at home. Oh, so they're So don't talk to me about uh, offense being ranked number one. Nice. So you play somebody. <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. No, I think you have to be realistic. That, it's it's, uh, it's skewed. It skews everything that you're doing when you play these games. So you get these big numbers, but we're here to try to tell you what the teams look like and what they're doing. And it's really difficult to do that when you're putting up 70 points. We're not going to sit up here and say you're just great offensively when we know the talent that you're playing has been inferior. But we we try to be, or at least I do, be a somewhat of objective and say, this is possibly a very solid program. Looks like that it got better on the defensive side, but I have no real way to really tell you until they step up the competition. And to be honest with you, we might not find out until they play Oklahoma, Oklahoma in November because mm-hmm. they have West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State, Kansas. Even though those are Big Twelve conference games, nobody's really saying right. anything about those programs worth salt. So until November the seventh, where they host. Um, number 14 at that time, Oklahoma. Then we'll get to see is Baylor ready to take the next step and win the conference this year. Yeah, well, I can't. They I, may be even challenged by, by West Virginia. I doubt it. West, no, West Virginia is horrible. So they, they, they lost Maryland yesterday, 37 nothing. Uh-huh. Maryland horrible. Good for they didn't even put a point on the ball. But yeah, I, I know you love Rob Brown. That's okay. That you were thinking about two years ago. No. After he threw Geno Smith under the bus, the coach there now looks like he. Showing uh, what he's really made of. Well, yeah. now it's, these games are scheduled for. Uh, I've I've heard coaches say point blank, build confidence, not character. Uh, pay, you know, the school decide makes a decision to pay out checks and you know, all to to uh, subpar teams or uh, teams on the FCS level. But, but and up in, and actually up until what two, two years ago was when they could actually put a NAIA team. At least one yeah. on the schedule. For whatever reason, they make those decisions no, not not, not two not two years down the road, but they use them as a fill-in. Like if somebody just bows out, I know exactly know. why. Um, I had to jump in there. Go ahead. I know exactly why they play these games because they want to beef up the win column, get in the bowl games, and so they'll declaratively make a statement that it's about uh, building confidence. There's no real confidence being built there. You don't have to give me that coach speaking thing. I'm just going to accept it because I sit at the table. It, it, it's it's madness. And I'm going to tell you the dangerous thing about this. 
from those that study marketing at the sport business level, um, your fans are already telling you by not showing up to these games and you're not selling the tickets as you want. So you're devaluing your product, which is what they really don't understand in terms of the true sport business and why the NFL does so well, why these other colleges are doing relatively well, but don't understand really that they, if they're not careful, they're going to make some major mistakes and find out years down the road that they actually devalue your program and you're going to find yourself somewhat maybe like uh, hockey is in terms of the business side of really uh, negotiating the proper way to play these games. The other thing I have to say is is um, for these teams that accept a check to do this, you're also damaging your brand in terms of what you come in and then you wonder why your fans that are not directly on the fence do not come out and celebrate your game because they already know because you didn't told them that you're inferior. I'm glad you brought that up, Doc. Two things happened this week. One, um, financial statement was made was made between the two schools here in the state, A&M, UT, uh, and attendance. And I'll get on to the attendance deal on, on the game yesterday uh, about the announcement and how many fans actually showed up. First thing was financial. I can't remember in my lifetime, since I've been following A&M in Texas, you know, when it was, when it meant something to me, that A&M was able to out-fund school-wise in a, in a financial year, which is a 12-month period, double of what they were putting in at UT. It's always been pretty much running side-by-side, or uh, UT has been over, has been the overmatching number. but. The numbers that I saw this week, that's a huge jump. That's almost a billion dollars to three quarters to seven hundred and forty million dollars to half of dwarfing it. as you said, Texas is four hundred million dollars. And I've never, and that tells me something is going on, and that folks are making statements. So I understand what you know why people are starting to get tested by what's going on at the forty acres. But you know, it's, so when you when your football moves to the next level. You know, folks start giving. Yeah, you we know? we knew that the SEC move should be a solid move in terms of financial. There was a question in terms of how quick Texas A and M uh, could be, uh, you know, on the same level of many of the premier teams, and obviously we found out that that happened pretty quick, uh, i.e., year one. And I think when you add all those components up, as you're saying, people being excited. Uh, about the brand, the association with the bigger brand in SEC, uh, winning seven straight BCS championships. You see it all coming together in that perfect storm, uh, as Malcolm Gladwell said in his famous marketing book, The Tipping Point. And I think that's what you have going on here is The Tipping Point. And it's fascinating to watch what has taken place here. The other part that they quickly uh, associated with this is the fact that uh, they had the $450 million project to rebuild the stadium. Uh-huh. Of that $740 million, a third of it was attributed to people that were donating uh, to the stadium, which means they're already more than halfway towards that $450 million. And the last thing I will add that I thought was fascinating, that a like 12 or 15%, if you would, percentage of that 740 740 million were people that also gave not only just to athletics but to also academics so um, kudos to a&m for finding a way to get it done and making a strategic move 
that is well established and hopefully some of the other programs that are trying to figure out this landmine of sports and the business of sports can kind of in their own way pick this apart and do it in a way that helps them move their programs forward u of h and that takes me to my next next point now texas then we'll, prayer view. Then we'll move on right. we'll move on yeah really bad uh announced numbers for the game yesterday was 95 below 95,000 uh but uh Watched the highlights and all last night, this morning. Too many huge empty seats in the student section at Darrell K. Raw yesterday. That tells me something else is going on. Kids, students are starting to find something else to do instead of go to the game because it's not, it's not a happening. It's not an event for them anymore. You know, and I, and I, I attribute that to the football program. Some of those guys have got to start. Making an inroads into the, uh, into the, not just in the classrooms, but other activities that are going on on campus. Because we all know that if the student body is not involved, they're not going to come to the game. I mean, we, we, we're right here in town, watch Rice, uh, even Prairie Up the Road, uh, TSU, U of H. If nobody's in, if the student body is not interested, this is not going to happen. I think you bring up an excellent point, and actually, I just had a article that we went over in one of our sport management and marketing courses that looked at this phenomenon that was coming up. And as mighty as the Texas Longhorns have been in terms of uh, generating revenue for that program, number one uh, last year, well, you know, like the third consecutive year, as they continue to get it done, there has been a national trend that shows that uh, college people are not attending games at the same level. The SEC, the mighty SEC, actually had a major problem with this happening. And they actually uh, went to a consulting company to study this. And what they've come back, in addition to the fact that the interest is not there if teams are not playing well, but there's also a huge component that young people have just changed how they like to interact and watch games. And it's about social commentary, i.e. what we talk about social media. So a lot of these older stadiums that are large, 100 and plus in capacity, if you notice, at the NFL, they've made a huge change. NBA has done this in terms of reconfiguring their internal structure, making sure that the social media component is there for people to be able to talk to. And that's, I think, a large component of what you're talking to well, which was an excellent point that you bring it up, that the SEC is actually going to reconfigure the stadium to try to make sure they get a better balance of their students attending games because what they're finding out to close it out is like a student may be in one section, a friend may be lower down, and they want to talk about the last play that took place, and they like to do it over social media. In these current stadiums, they can't mm -hmm. do that. Now, you just mentioned something. Last season, they pretty much, uh, it was a test pattern for everybody. They didn't publicize it that much. It was basically told it to the individual stadium um, that, you needed to upgrade your uh, Wi-Fi situation, which allowed, which would, because uh, uh, they was uh, they're in a process now to okay it across the league, especially in the NBA and on uh, in the NHL. Tablets will be allowed in, in the, into the stadiums now during game. Uh, still can't bring a laptop. Good call. Uh, but if you if you had those reversible type uh, flat uh, notebooks mm -hmm. that that looks that they can. Uh, uh, 
tablet. Those those will be allowed because all you have to do is just bring bring the tablet face up and all where they can see it when when you come in checking in for uh, security. But tablets now will be allowed in the NBA games and the NHL because of what you just mentioned. Because now instead of looking up at the big screens, they can look down at the uh, at the uh, in their lap uh, in in their hand and just, just watch the replay and. And move on. That's it. You know, because we talk about it every week. We pretty much talk about it every day on our jobs. Social media is the connection. Uh, a lot of companies and two seminars I went to last week, mm-hmm. they talked about their, uh, what's going on in social media to the point that uh, HR departments are being scaled down because now they are able to do the interviews and the app and the app situation online through electronic uh, connections, tablet, smartphone, uh, laptop. They don't need to, you know. It's not necessary that you meet a face a person face to face until it's time to either sign a contract or start picking up your paperwork. Gotcha. And and to piggyback off that, the high tech environments in the arenas and the stadiums. So about two weeks ago, mm-hmm. the NBA announced an agreement with a stats company to expand their agreement with their stats sports view player tracking technology is going to be in every all 30 NBA arenas. It's going mm-hmm. to be a system of six cameras uh, with their proprietary software that you can basically allow fans to do whatever they want to in terms of stats. It'll provide a continuous readers from their press release, provide a continuous stream of innovative statistics based around speed, distance, player separation, and ball possession for detailed and targeted analysis of players and teams. So the NBA is at the forefront yes. of the U.S. Pro Sports Leagues to get into the analytics of everything. I'm not big on analytics, uh, but I, I, analytics. I, I know where things are going and progressing and heading. You're right. So kudos to the NBA for adopting that strategy and philosophy. And I look forward to it because Rocket Training Camp starts on Saturday. I think Media Day is this coming Friday. NBA basketball is around the corner. Preseason basketball is roughly two weeks away. So these podcasts will start having more basketball talk. Instead of talking about the Longhorns and background and that mess up there in the 40 acres, we can talk some hoops, college hoops and pro hoops. <clears throat> but I also want to touch on another thing about the uh, Wildcats, Rice Owls. They had uh, their basketball notebook. They announced the field of the Cape Cod Classic that they're going to be in uh, Santa Clara. It's going to be in November. This is the men's hoops. Coach Brown, Coach Ben Brown, and his his uh, men's basketball team. I also go be in that uh, Cape Cod Classic in November 29th and 30th. Uh, they changed the date of a uh, conference opponent, Middle Tennessee State, uh, from Friday to Saturday. And then I didn't even know about this, but during the Isles trip and trek in games in Canada, the, one of their freshmen was injured, towards, uh, suffered a knee injury, and they announced a few days ago that Denzel Davis was going to be off for the year because he tore his ACL. Oh, wow. So uh, he'll have, a, have to redshirt this coming season, and he'll still have his four years of eligibility. So good luck to him and his recovery. Mm-hmm. And a reminder, early reminder, but the Owls and the Houston Cougars are going to be playing uh, head-to-head as part of the Lone Star Showcase doubleheader 
in December at Toyota Center. That's on be on Saturday, December 21st. Uh, the Cougars will play the first game of, of the doubleheader, followed by the Aggies and Masonas in the second game of the doubleheader. I believe, I assume, I hope tickets are, are ready. You can purchase them online. Look for Lone Star Showcase uh, website. Let's Google all that stuff. Y'all know how to do that. Listen to the podcast are tech savvy enough to, to get the information. That they we want don't want to insult. Wildcat, how can folks find you, sir? Who are you again, sir? I am Phil Ward Wildcat. You can find me. You can follow me on Twitter um, uh, at uh, YouTube and uh, Blogger uh, at AKSVZCSR. I am the Phil Ward Wildcat. And uh, kudos to my fellow classmates, class of 73, Phyllis Wheatley of 4900 Market Street, 77020, Houston, Texas. Congratulations, folks. It's been 40 years. Short time. Some of us are still here. We don't know why, <laughs> but some of us have gone on to the great beyond. And we're thankful. The ones that are here, we're thankful every day. Well, some of y'all are still here because clearly y'all have not finished what you were meant to accomplish on this earth. Everybody keeps saying here. that. So that's, that's why you're still here. Everybody keeps saying Five things coming along with, with the Instagram account. Uh, Instagram will be up tomorrow. Congratulations. Good deal. Have you got the name, the account already? It's going to be the same thing? Have you made it sitting? I don't put it on, on, uh, on the spot I yet. I put, put it sitting on that yet. Okay. Okay, good deal. Well, yeah. we touched on this last week's podcast and we were wrong. All three of us are wrong. We're talking, we're talking about the Texans and Randy Bullock struggles as a kicker, and we talked about Texans want to have tryouts on, on Tuesday and get rid of Randy Bullock, and Kubiak came out the next day after the game. Texas came back winning and won that game, but nope. He has He's faith. Good. We have faith. I have faith in my kicker. Randy Bullock has three field goals today in the Texans uh, game. What do we know? Unfortunately. What do we know? Unfortunately, he has all the points that Texas have. They lose to the Ravens 27-9 midway through the fourth quarter. So, Kudos they give it 27 points. Oh, oh. Well, apparently, your quarterback, your favorite quarterback, uh, Matt Schaub, is throwing a pick six. Pick six <coughs> and a punt return for 80 plus yards and one touchdown. So, uh, so special teams, offense, not playing very well. You know, so it's all up to the defense. This is, the, this is the third game. And they play solid, but not enough. Yeah, they haven't. It's the third game. They have not played well overall yet not in these first three games. So they managed to get two wins, but they haven't played a full 60 minutes thus far. So, but yeah, I want to toss that out there. We had no problems admitting that we were wrong. Um, so it happens to the best. You know, it happens on the podcast. I'm KG. My, my website is HoustonRoundBarView.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at T H E H R Review. Why could you have any thoughts? Monday in Indianapolis, there's going to be a big meeting of women's basketball coach, big wigs, coaches, administrators, I think referee. TV people are going to discuss um, and uh, hammer out details and answers concerning the white paper. white paper. Val Lackman's white paper that she released a few months ago. They're going to try to put forth some ideas, hammer out some suggestions going forward to improve the women's college basketball game. So look forward for the results of that uh, tomorrow and then probably later on this week and throughout this college season what they're going to do in terms of suggestions of moving the Final Four from Sunday, Tuesday to Friday, Sunday, or or doing a better job marketing locally the basketball programs, women's side, because we all know that the I think, I think the marketing part is what they need to target first. 
because that that seriously is the not so much the answer, but that is what you need to direct your your attention to before you even start talking about changing the Final Four, because those games leading up to that point is why they have a problem. In. If, if, if I'm wrong, correct me, but you and I both know in the season, for a seasonal game for two programs here in town, total attendance is barely, what, five thirty-five hundred for the year? Total for the, uh, well, if, 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 go ahead. I can talk long enough for you to get that. But the combined attendance, home, home attendance for the right side. The, the right side, Cougars, Cougars yeah. It's not good. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm almost there. Okay. But, yeah. All right. but like I said, marketing is what they need to do, especially on local and regional level. Everybody wants to make concerns now toward the Final Four. It sells itself once, once the team start moving along, folks start buying tickets because whatever, whatever they those people have made applications for and bought tickets online uh, early when the uh, application forms first went out, those are diehard Final Four people. And that's the only event that they pretty much attend on a yearly basis. But it's where you got conference uh, uh, championships, uh, regular season games, regionals. Uh, uh, that's where you need folks at sitting in the stands because to get a TV and you have to all be cameras have to all be pointed to one side of the arena the whole for for four quarters or for two games and, and you hope that and, the and fan that there are enough fans to move down close to the court and you hope nobody leaves so you can, you can make it look <laughs> like the people there you, you hope nobody leaves but the average home attendance for the houston cougars women's team last year was 512. the average home attendance for the rice house women's team last year was 507. The total attendance for U of H was 8188. That's total. 16 games, 8188. Rice, 16 games, 8114. Add that up. That's 16,300 fans can watch them play last season at home. The Yukon Huskies. There you go. The Tennessee Lady Vols. Yep. Probably can get 16,000. Louisville, I think, did the game against Kentucky. May have drawn 16,000 in one home game. Right. So, might as well throw it out there. Todd Buchanan, head coach at U of H, Greg Williams, head coach at Rice, the administration, both schools, Rice and U of H. If y'all want more people to come see you play, and I truly, I, I mentioned this in previous podcasts, when Houston Cougars are a conference member of the defending champion, eight-time champion Connecticut Huskies, who are coming to town, and you start marketing that game. The game leaves in January or February, February 21st, I think. You need to start promoting that game immediately. Yes. I don't care if Hawthorne no. Convenient no. is filled with Connecticut Huskies. So what? It, the attendance for that game would have probably be at least half of the whole attendance for last year, if not all of it. Correct. So, as I said before, greatness is coming to Hawthorne Convenient. Yeah, it's going to be a butt whooping. So what? <laughs> That's what happened. Yeah, yeah, concession stands should be stocked. People will be there, be there to watch the Huskies, All Americans, Geno coaching the sidelines, great players doing their thing. Games should be on TV. You come get your drink, come get your food, come watch a great team play, and then you'll see how far the Cougars have to go to get to that level. And then that's what it's all about. If you want to be the best, you got to beat the best. First things first, you got to play the best. Which gets back to our point about scheduling all these non-conference teams that you were just so much better than. 
one one of them confidence builder fine three of them ridiculous. that's that, that that's i'm with you on that it's ridiculous <clears throat> that's how we that's our feelings on that anything i want to say as wrap it up and wind it down well last week y'all beat up on my cowboys rightfully so because they didn't get it done i can report uh happily that they're up 31 to 7 with a minute 54 left in the fourth quarter over the st louis rams Cowboys finally find a way to put up some points and have a game where it doesn't go down to the wire. Well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm like, <laughs> whatever. But I'm going to talk about the Cowboys. That's fine. You know, because it's good somebody in the NFC East is winning because the Eagles lost on Thursday at home in Kansas City. The Giants getting shellacked and shut out at home in Carolina. Oh, not at home, but in Carolina, 38 nothing by the Panthers. Panthers finally woke up. Uh, looks like the, the Washington football team, because I'm not going to call them that other name, the nickname. Yeah, the I'm gonna uh, join I'm gonna join the other people and not call them that they're to watch the football team until Dan Snyder gets off his butt and change the nickname. Um they're losing to uh the Lions. I can't tell because on Twitter I see talk about RD three made a long touchdown pass or something, but the score doesn't seem to reflect it. So what I see is twenty to seventeen Lions over it over that team and uh what I'm hearing is the team is ahead of the Lions twenty four to twenty. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But um, basketball season's almost here. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Uh, Wildcat, maybe your Rice solves you better. Uh, who's the next opponent? Who do they play next? Do you know? Rice's next opponent is Florida oh. Atlantic. Oh, that's a victory. <laughs> That'll be a victory for the Owls. <laughs> Beat number one of them sorry teams from the, from Florida that's not Florida State, Miami, or Florida, or Bethune-Cookman. Um, so good luck to them. TSU's next game, Doc, is against who? TSU next game is against, um, excuse me, I got Prairie View is playing uh, Stephen F. Austin and Lumberjacks, and I'm not sure where Texas Southern is playing next weekend. Give me a second and I'll get it to you. I was looking up a report to give you the update on the Detroit Lions. They are up 20 to 17. Well, and apparently that great deep ball seven minutes left. that RG3 threw was dropped. That's so what it was. That's what happened there, and the Lions are marching down the field. They're in the red zone, and chance to move my sorry team to 0-3 on the season. So uh, coming with the Giants, so the 0-3 team, team tied, holding up the NFC East, <clears throat> which used to be such a great division, but it's no longer the case. But anyway, uh, hoops is around the corner, so I'll be in much happier and much better mood since the Longhorns won a game. So that rivals for my joy <clears throat> for this podcast. Thank you as always for listening to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Podcasts are on iTunes. Podcasts are on SoundCloud. Uh, sometimes podcasts are on, on YouTube as well. My website is HoustonRoundBallReview.com. I'm on Twitter at T-H-E-H-R-Review. Facebook fan page with Houston Round Ball Review. In conclusion, we're going to wrap it up real quick. Give you an answer on that. They travel to Huntsville, Alabama, play Alabama a and Bulldogs, the team that uh, Prairie View just beat 28-26. to do the Tigers have a chance to win that game? That's to me interesting. The way Alabama was playing the first three games, I would have quickly said yes. But after what I seen yesterday, I think it might be a much more difficult challenge than I originally thought. Okay. Well, we'll so see there is that a on, chance. On the next podcast, we're going to wrap it up. In conclusion, be true. You got something to say? Go ahead. No, just one thing. Uh, and I don't see how we missed about not talking about this. On yesterday, Money Mayweather being Money Mayweather. You know, did a, did a straight bet, 200000 to 
two ten uh two twenty. He bet two twenty to win two hundred. That's what I saw on the ticket. Uh, so the two hundred thousand. Yeah, that's right. Uh, first half. So yeah, you bet on on the Aggies, China Menzel, Tony football. And for the uh, for the straight bet, first half. You know, when you just got money to just throw away, but you when you want to when you got it to do it, you can do that. You know, so it must be nice to do all that. But <laughs> wrap it up. Kudos to, to Money for win his, winning this fight over Canelo Alvarez a couple of, uh, about eight days ago. Wrapping it up here. Be true. Be cool. And do more.